Welcome to The Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Emma and I'll be your host for today's episode. For our second episode of our Anzac Day special, today I'm joined by another absolutely amazing woman. She is a kick-ass mother of three. She's a fitness enthusiast. She's a crazy messed up human, which in my opinion is the best kind. She's a military (laughs) veteran and is now a leadership and life coach. So I'd like to welcome and thank you so much for joining me today, Nikki Thomas. You're so welcome. I'm so excited to be here and share some of the um, stories that I have. So thanks for asking me, Emma. I'm really excited to have you on. So you were in the Australian Army for just shy of nine years? Yep. So I did full-time service just under nine years and then I did another four years in the part-time Army and then I was out completely. (laughs) Wow, that's a big commitment. It was a lot. And it's funny because... um, I never wasn't a big goal in my life. I wasn't one of those people who was like, yeah, I love it. I'm going to join the army. It was just like, I wonder if I can do this. I went to Kapuka to see how I'd go with the basic training and absolutely loved it and just had this amazing career. I I credit being in the military with so much of the strength and tenacity that I have in my, in my everyday life today. That's amazing. Who, who goes to Kapuka Kapuka just to go, I wonder if I could maybe give that a shot. crazy messed up human over here like let's give this a crack you know it's a yeah that's definitely part of my strategy in the world (laughs) no I I hope this is okay to share so when I was speaking to you before we had the before we were doing the recording you know and I said you know did you grow up in a military household and you're like nah and then so what happened after you said no I know. I was telling my dad about this the other day. I go, God, no, none of my family were in the military. And then I go, oh, hang on. My dad was in the RAF, but that doesn't count. So don't tell the last lady that you interviewed. Tell her not to listen to that bit. But that's a very army mentality. We think we're the best and everything else comes after. And if you speak to Navy, you'll get the same story from them. hundred so. percent. Oh, and, you know, it's the yeah. same with everything, isn't it? It's like with, well, I don't yeah. follow football, but if I did, I imagine I would feel the same about my football team. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny that I completely didn't even register in my mind. I remember when I was at Kapuka, I, um, I fell over and twisted my ankle. And one of the, one of the staff said to me, why are you here? Why didn't you join the Air Force if your dad was in the Air Force? And I was like, well, because I have to go all in or not at all. Like, that's just how it is. So. <laughs> if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. <laughs> I'm going to do it fully. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how old were you when you joined the army? This is a good one. So I was 23 when I joined and I think that was a real benefit because I'd worked in um, in retail and in management for five years. So I had some experience of what it was like to be in the real world, quote unquote. And so when I went into the military, I could see the ease and the difficulties. And I think coming from school, you might miss some of that, you know. So yeah, 23 years old when I joined. So would you consider yourself to be a mature 23-year-old or quite a young 23-year-old? I think I was quite a naive 23-year-old. So I, I often say, like, I grew up in a very small country town. So, you know, the life experiences that kids that grow up in the city get are pretty different to kids that grow up in the country. So I think I was quite um, a naive 23-year-old in that sense. However, having had five years in the workforce, that part of me was quite mature yeah Mm. so it was just like the perfect storm I suppose for that environment. So if a young person or well a less Mm -hmm. young person was joining the army what's the process of that so you go over and do your basic training and then what happens? So firstly you have to get accepted so you have to go and do a fitness test a psych test an aptitude test you have to go through all the testing and depending on at what time you're applying and what how many people they need and what jobs they want to fill will dictate whether you get in or not 
Um, so, uh, you know, if they don't need a lot of um, a certain trade, then you may have to wait till the next round or you test the testing will be harder, et cetera, et cetera. So once you get through all that, yeah, on the day you go, um, I was in Adelaide when I joined. So on the day you go into the city, you do another fitness test to make sure that you're still as fit as you were the last time. Um, and then they put you straight on a bus. Oh, wow. So you that's a lot a bus for you to, to, That's a lot for you to go through just to give yeah, it a whirl. Right, in one day. But yeah, and probably as I as I look back now, now that I'm a mother and I look back and my mum and dad came to see me go because they sort of swear you in and you get this big ceremony and then off you go. And my poor mum was just, you know, in tears. And I was like, what's wrong, mum? Like, I'm fine. Off I go on this bus. And it must have been the most horrific experience. But, yeah, then you're off on a bus and we drove, I think we drove to Melbourne, picked some more people up, drove to Wagga, and then you get off the little bus that you're on and then you're on the big bus and then you are on that's when they start the, the yelling. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Straight away, they're like, wake up and, you know, get your shit together and get off the bus. And they immediately, you're immediately starting to be trained. When you are being trained, are you trained, is it a mixed cohort? So are you training with men and women? Yeah, so I did. So it changes again. It changes uh, frequently when you go through um, Kapuka. So when I joined, um, I joined up. Uh, as a reservist, but I went through Kapuka with all the full-time soldiers so we could do that mix mm. when I joined. So there were four girls and like 44 boys. And so they tend to put all the girls in one section together. Um, and then there's, we had three, you know, two other sections that were all male. So um, yeah, so you're a minority, absolutely right from the word go. So what was that like? Well, again, Emma, I grew up in a country town yeah. on a farm with all boys. <laughs> yeah. So I was so you're at home. Yeah, I was totally, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, and I just never really, I wrote a blog post about this recently. I, it never really occurred to me that being a girl was a problem or would hold me back in any way. Mm. Um, however, being in that environment and then seeing some of the other girls that came in, I remember one of the recruits got quite intimidated when we went onto the range for the first time and, and she said, well, I just never really thought about shooting a gun. And I was like, you do really? know you join the army, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was quite funny. But, but, but to see her sort of have that experience and I was like, yeah, again, I think my naivety, my ability to just go with the flow and the fact that I grew up around a lot of boys, it was never a concern for me. Even the yelling and stuff, I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just kind of could, could hold my own. I should say also that one of my friend's dads who had quite an extensive military career before I went to Kapuka, he said to me, Nikki, play the game like they're going to yell at you a lot for a purpose so I did have that mindset mm. as well of like oh this isn't personal this is part of the process so I think that really helped yeah and then so you obviously made it through your basic training so you were fit enough I loved it yeah it was probably the fastest I've ever run and I will never run that fast again in my, again. my life <laughs> um and I loved it I got to the end of my my six weeks and I remember going back to my room to gather my bags because when you're a reservist you can go home with your family um, and I was crying. I just, just oh. I loved it. I know, right? I'm such a weirdo. Anyway. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be the one to say it since we've only just met. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I just had such, I just, I think I just had such a great experience because I was one of the stronger girls. Uh, I got a lot of, given a lot of leadership responsibility. I got to sort of manage people. And again, like, you know, the fact that I've ended up in a psych slash coaching role is very interesting that that sort of mm. happened right at the beginning. Um, and I just loved being part of the team and the ethos that it came with. And the, um, you know, when you're at Kapika, they're gearing you up for war. Yeah. And it's very uh, emotional. And I just loved everything about it. Mm. So you were an army reservist for four years. 
So I started in the reserves. I spent about three weeks there and went full time. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 and because I trained with the full time army and did the whole Kapuku in one go, I could just transfer over. So immediately when I got back home, I was like, no. I got sent on my first course in Melbourne and I was like, no, this is for me. And so I went home and told my parents and um, my mum, I don't think she spoke to me for a week. Like, how dare my little girl go and join the army? Oh. <laughs> it was a tough one for mum to accept, which I yeah. now as a mother understand. Yeah. Yes. So then I went off full time and I was yeah eight years. And then when I had children, I went back to reserve. Ah, so yeah. you were, you were in the army and it's like active army type of thing so you were in the active you were in the army for East Timor that would be correct yeah so the first deployment I went on was East Timor um, and it was later in the in the game and I was in signals corps so as a female there's only at that time it's much Mm. different now but at that time there are only a few things you could choose from so I looked at it from a very logical perspective which is very unlike me and thought I'll choose um, IT so systems administrator because I'll have those qualifications when I leave um, and so I got to do um, deployments with um, headquarters elements because that's where you're setting up all the IT systems. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I deployed and that again, when I went to East Timor, I was deployed and it accidentally happened that I was the only girl on that deployment. And it just, I don't know, it just wasn't meant to happen that way. So I got interviewed by a lot of the psychs. I got interviewed by a lot of the historians um, and that got me really interested in the psych process. And even like I had a real kind of, you know, the, the RSM said to me, if anyone can cope with this, Nikki, it's you. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I am, am I even a girl? Like I can basically just be a boy, right? <laughs> um, and it wasn't that way for me. So on that on that trip, I found myself, I always joke about it, like um, in my room, the good thing about being the only girl was you got a room to yourself. Bonus. In my room. Well, I know, right? Massive <laughs> bonus. I found myself one day, someone had sent me, a friend had sent me a, a body shop pack. Remember the body shop? Mm. And it was really popular. Yeah, so the beautiful scrubs and creams and things um and I found myself sitting in front of my laptop watching Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon crying my eyes out just desiring to have pink nails or pink (laughs) clothes you know what I mean and I was like wow that was a big turning moment in my life because yeah I I just fully identified as somebody who didn't need to have women around me and that was until you don't have any yeah and I should mention as well that the military tried very very hard to um to fill that need for me. So there's there's NGOs that are deployed mm. in East Timor. So they would set me up to go to one of the NGOs house for dinner or I'd go and we'd watch Sex in the City and have non-alcoholic wine together. Oh. And they really tried to meet that need for me, um, which was really, you know, the fact that they're even considering that was amazing. So, yeah. That is really, like, I wouldn't have expected that. I guess what we mm. see of the, you know, this idea around the military is, well, you've chosen this. And this is mm. what you've signed up for. So you don't like it. Yeah. You need to work out how to get over that. Yeah. And there's definitely an attitude of that. There's definitely that kind of, they, the saying is you chose us. We didn't choose yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> which they do a lot. I guess I was really surprised because number one, I didn't think I needed that sort of female companionship. And number two, they facilitated that without me having to hit any kind of mental health or mm. ask for it or have a breakdown. So, yeah, there really was an element of, um, of care in that. I think that maybe there were some people there that might have experienced it before or, you know, they had some data around it. Like I said, I got interviewed by a lot of people. So, yeah, um, it certainly wasn't the case on that deployment. They were very caring about the whole situation. Oh, that's mm. really good to hear. And yeah. I'm just wondering, actually, I'm wondering a lot, but I'm wondering with your mum's reaction to you joining full-time military, 
What was her reaction to your first deployment? Oh, yeah, same. Like, can you imagine? Like, oh, my God, I I had a daughter (laughs) so she could stay with me and we could go shopping together and she's off to frigging East Timor, you know what I mean? So, again, I had a beautiful sergeant uh, in Darwin who called my mum and had a a conversation with her and really put her mind at ease, which was very helpful because, of course, I'm going to say... I'm fine, mum. Yeah. It's great fun being on being chosen to go on deployment. You know, it feels very um, exciting and empowering. Um, and so you don't really think about how mum's going, mm. you know. So to have a sergeant who was a bit older and had children of his own and he had a conversation with her, and I think they do that for most people, is um, have some kind of touch point with the parents or the wives or the husbands or whoever um, are the primary carers to, to put their mind at ease a little bit. Yeah, and so I have a relative who would, went to Afghanistan, I should probably know what year it is, probably around 2012. And, Mm. um, you know, so his closest contact was contacted by the army and they had that similar kind of conversation and gave them the um, contact details for... Is it the pastor or, you know, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, so the, they, t- they tend to set up a group support when mm. you're away. So there'll be someone that your family can contact if they are concerned or if something happens that you need to know about. So yeah. there's systems in place to support you there. And it seemed to be as well just, you know, if you're struggling with the idea that your loved one is away, there's mm. a, you know, you can reach out and there are people here that you can talk to to try and reduce absolutely so i think again they do their absolute best to try and make that available to people and you know we have defense family organization Mm. um so you know there's all sorts of things in place for people they do try their best and i think that it it, eventually it has to come down to the individual to seek that help yeah um you know or to find out what's going to work best for them so how long were you away for how long is deployment Oh, so deployments are generally six months. So I was there just uh, just under five because we I went over right at the end of Timor and we we closed down a headquarters element. So it was a shorter deployment for me, which was good. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then again, when I was later on in the military, when my partner at the time deployed, he was away for eight months. So again, they're meant to be six, so mm. the standard length of deployment. But depending on movements and you know, what, what is required of the group, et cetera, it can be shorter or longer. Yeah. And mm. so you only did the one deployment? Well, then I went on and I did um, Op Relax, which was when we had all the uh, war kicking off in Iraq and everyone was jumping on boats mm. Remember when John Howard was in power and we had to put border forces in mm. control. So that's when I deployed with the Navy. Ah. Um, I know. And, and they again, didn't kick you off? benefit of being... <laughs> Hey, <laughs> they didn't kick you off. They didn't. They didn't like us much, though. Yeah. They call us Pongos, so where the Pongos, the army goes, kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's our nickname. <laughs> um, and so I got to deploy. This is another benefit of being a female: is that they need female soldiers to go with the infantry, and they needed female soldiers to go with the cavalry. So I deployed with both of those, um, and on the navy ships, and I get terribly seasick. So oh. it's a phenomenal experience. However, it was probably my most um, I was on one of the first two boats to go out and it was one of the most real deployments because we actually had to process people, pick them up. We had riots on the boat, you know, it was probably the most action that I would ever see as a as a, an IT person and a female. So, mm. yeah. What was it actually like being in deployment? Like, so I guess we have this sort of comes from movies, whatever, but this idea yeah. that you're, you know, this service to country and this kind of thing and it's yeah. a real hardship that people are going away for deployment and 
Mm. Yeah, there's from what I've seen, which is mainly from Mash, really. There's lots of digging latrines ah. and things like that. We love Mash. Who yeah. doesn't love Mash? Yeah. <laughs> so, what is it actually like? So funny. It is a lot like Mash. Um, as in, you you form those relationships and those bonds, and you become really comfortable in that environment you know so look I'm going to give you my um, perspective of this and like I said I had quite safe deployments you know I wasn't in the line of fire so I'm not going to speak for everybody in this space but it very much is just you create a new home in a new environment I also because I deployed with headquarters elements I got to work with all sorts of different countries so military from different countries whereas when you deploy as say an infantry soldier you're in a barracks it's very similar to your barracks at home so it doesn't feel a whole lot different you just don't have any of the pleasures that you have at home Mm. you know so yeah the first one was um it's just a little bit groundhog day but they like I said they always do their best they're always putting on events we had you know um we had a boozer you have you know where you raise money and you can have alcohol once a week or something like that so they're always trying to do things to keep morale up but essentially what it what for myself what it really feels like going on deployment it feels like you go and the world keeps going and you pop back into the world at a different place and time and it takes a bit to catch up the coming home is a lot harder than the going away yeah and how how do you I guess kind of fit yourself back into that Mm. so I remember coming back in and being like there were new people in my friend groups and my friends had had all these experiences about me and you're kind of very disconnected from your core group I suppose And so I remember the first thing I really wanted to do, which is really interesting, was isolate. I I was Christmas time when I came home. I was like, I'm not coming home for Christmas. I just want to be by myself and re-centre for a little Mm. while. Um, And look, again, I'm only speaking from my own personal experience. I'm sure everybody doesn't have it that way. But, yeah, it took me a little while to uh, decide how I was going to fit back into my world. That must have been really difficult, having that conversation with your family, who you know you've spoken about your mum was somewhat devastated with your life choices at that point and (laughs) you know so you kind of she's imagining this whole reunion scene at the airport and Mm. you've gone yeah no that's not going to happen because I just need I need a little while to just I just need to sit I just need to be and then she had to wait so that must have been a difficult Mm. conversation yeah, I imagine it was. And the, the thing is, because I had a shorter deployment, when you go on a long deployment, you get two weeks off in the middle. Mm. Because I had a shorter deployment, I had like four days off in the middle. Ah. So I just went back to Darwin and my mum met me on that four days. So we had seen each other in that period of time. And then at the end of it, yeah. And it's interesting as I look back, because we were pretty close-knit family. I'd spent every Christmas with them. I've never really missed one, maybe one before this. Mm. And then, yeah, but they were pretty supportive, I think, from a mental health perspective. You know, they didn't really give me any grief about not coming home. I said, I'll come back in January. I just need this space. And so, yeah, look, to be honest, it was completely about me. And it was, uh, you know, I needed to take care of myself. And they supported that as far as I can remember. So they probably did hate it, but they didn't tell me they hated it. Oh, perfect. (laughs) That's what parenting is about, isn't it? Yeah, of course I support your decision, darling. (laughs) Yeah, and then they'd get off the phone and go, my goodness, you want to know what she's doing now? Yeah. No, no, I think, I, I don't know. I think mothers have this ability too to see when uh, you maybe just need to draw that boundary. Yeah. It's time to take a breath and step back. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so you were in the army when you met your partner? Partner, yep. Yep, yep. Which is really common. You can imagine there's four girls and 4,000 boys. So, um, a lot awesome. of us you had do your pick. care off. 
<laughs> I know, right? You're a bit of a superstar. You, a lot of us do pair off with army guys. So, yeah, we met. I'd been in four or five years already. And then, like, when I came home from East Timor, he was one of the new people in my friend group. And I was like, excuse me. Where did out. you come Who's from? Guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So what's how difficult is it to actually be dating someone who is also in the army? Are there additional Not challenges? Not at all. It's great. Everybody knows. So, for example, before I should mention this, before I joined the army, I dated a guy who was in, uh, he went to RMC. So he went to military college in Canberra. So I was a complete civilian, had no idea what it was all about. And he was in the military. So I remember going, saying to him, like, they can't tell you, you can't come home for holidays. Yeah. And he's like, yes, yeah, they, they can, can, you know. Yeah. So when you're both in the military, it's much easier when mm. you're like, hey, you know, I know I said I was coming to do this, but now I'm going to do that. It's like, oh yeah, cool. That's, you know, we all deal with it. Last minute changes. We all understand that it sucks, but we do it, you know, so it's a lot easier to be with someone who gets it, who mm. gets that there's a different kind of lifestyle attached to it. Was it difficult? Were you both deployed to separate places at different times? So did that add a diff- additional challenges or, you know, you can't see each other so you can't fight? There's an element of that definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, he got his first deployment when I was, eight months pregnant I think so he ended up leaving when our first baby was 11 weeks old and like so I sort of fell pregnant just as Iraq was kicking off so they'd asked me to go and I was like yes I can go and then oh wait no I can't because I'm ah. pregnant so then yeah so then he got the opportunity to go and of course it was all very exciting because it was early on in the piece and it was, again he was in the first wave to go and so then he got to be the one to go on deployment and I stayed home with the baby and that was the, one of the most challenging times in my whole career mm. and in my life, I would say, because I had a very strong work ethic. I was very good at what I did. And then all of a sudden I was working part-time, uh, looking after a baby. I felt like I wasn't being a good mum and I wasn't being a good worker. Yeah. You know, I felt like I just was failing in every area of my life. And then he's, of course, when you go on the first deployment, there's not a lot of infrastructure set up. So it takes a little while to get communications and patterns and, you know, when am I going to speak to him kind of thing. So, yeah, we were completely separate for a while there. So you were still in the army when you fell pregnant with your child? Yeah, so I waddled around in my cans with my big belly, yes. <laughs> was that, how supportive were the army about that? Yeah, again, they have a lot of systems in place for that. So they're completely, you know, they take care of all the medical appointments, the hospital, everything like that. So it was a wonderful, safe place to have a baby. And then even when I had the baby, I got priority positions in daycare centers and you know and then I applied for part-time leave without pay so I could work two and a half days a week so there's all sorts of that you know they've been around this roundabout before Mm. all sorts of things in place to support you I think for me and even when um when my partner deployed overseas I went I was on maternity leave and I they, they flew me home to my parents for four months of that deployment to live with them oh wow yeah, for family support because again, you're like you're going to be on your own with a baby. Like, and I, I initially said, no, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> you met me; I'm excellent at everything. And then, like, actually, I'm not superwoman. Probably should go home. And again, my mum was the same, like, mm, like trying not to sort of push me, but it might be a good idea to come home for a while. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So I went home and had that family support for four months. If you can call living with your parents with a baby family support, you know what I mean? I think yeah, we look, were all challenged in, in that. In theory, space. I think it sounds fantastic. In practice, yeah. I think yeah. I'm not sure I would still be speaking to my family. I know, but... right? Yeah. No, it was absolutely necessary because then when I flew back to Darwin, within a week, 
my little baby got gastro. I got oh. gastro. I was on the phone crying to my mum, please oh, yeah. can you come? You know what I mean? Yeah. And those kind of things, even though it's a challenge to be back with your family, having that support while your partner's mm. away is really valuable. Yeah, so, and, you know, the military take care of all of that, the removals, the house stays there, waits for you to get back, like, yeah, everything. So. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. And mm. for you, how was it having your partner being deployed, doing something that you couldn't do? Yeah, that was shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. So he'd ring me and I'd be really excited to hear how he went. And this is kind of the point I wanted to make as well when you asked about the deployments. He had a very different experience. So he had some, you know, some action and some, um, you know, Iraq and some, you know, pretty hairy situations. Mm. And I remember speaking to him on the phone saying, wow, like, how was it? And he was like, no, it wasn't good. Mm. You know, like being in the reality of that is a very different thing to how exciting it might feel. So here I can say, yeah, deployment was great. It had its own challenges, but I was never in a life-threatening situation mm. like he was. Yeah. And so then the reality hits on the other side of the phone and it's like, okay, he's not enjoying this. This is a tough place to be, yeah? yeah? So, yeah, it was very, very interesting experience. That must have been really difficult. So you had a very new baby at this point and, mm. yes, you had your family support, but mm. it's not the same. And, no. you know, most women who have got new babies, they need additional support and yet there you were potentially being in a situation where you had to be the support person for somebody who's on the other side of the world going through something that there's, I imagine, no amount of training can actually prepare you for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And like I said, I think going into it, I was a bit naive as well, like very excited for him to go and how hard can it be to have a baby? And I joke now, <laughs> when I do trainings now, I say like, you know, training soldiers is a, is a piece of piece compared to training a baby. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> they don't do what they're told in the book, ever. You know, so yeah, ever. So yeah, and I had it. He was a very sickly baby. We were in the heat in Darwin. Um, uh, yeah, and and I remember I had friends, you know, there supporting me. But essentially, my identity completely transformed mm. from you know kick-ass army girl partying on the weekends to mother and uh, you know covered in some sort of liquid that's come out of this baby somewhere or another exactly that's right and sort of managing that whole process and being obsessed about every freaking kilo that he gained and how exciting it was when he gooed and 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 my partner was missing out on all that so there's Mm. a real disconnect there so you know when he came home he hadn't gone through that transformation with me so essentially he wasn't yet a father, if that makes yeah. sense. His identity hadn't moved into that. So I remember when my little one almost took his first step and one of my friends pushed him over. He was like, no, you're not taking your first step without your dad being here kind oh. of thing. You know? It was just like weeks off him coming home. So. Just going to carry him around everywhere until dad gets home. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's 11 weeks when he left and then he got home to a 10-month-old, like a full-on little person, you know what I mean? Wow. So, yeah. So that was challenging. And then, and then we got married couple of months after that which was all in the pipe work before the deployment happened but um yeah yeah I don't think either of us really understood the enormity of that separation and and what it cost us um Mm. as two people going through that journey together Mm. yeah that's I mean it's difficult having a baby at the best of times and trying to get your head around that identity Mm. change but so many extra layers of challenges for you with Mm. and he would find it quite challenging when I would send him um videos of the baby or you know I was it's all I wanted to talk about Mm. and he was I guess finding it quite challenging because he couldn't be there so he didn't want the pain of Of hearing what he was missing out on yeah 
Yeah. And how many, so you obviously you got married and then went on to have more children. Yeah, we've got three all up. So I, I fell pregnant with my second and that's when I left. So after the first, I had really serious postnatal depression. I think that's really important to say. Mm-hmm. I didn't acknowledge it. I was very embarrassed about it. I tried to pretend, you know, like I could overfunction my way out of that depression, basically. Um, and then it didn't really... <laughs> What to say? You cannot overfunction your way out of postnatal yeah. depression. <laughs> no, it'll come. It'll hit you eventually. Yeah. yeah. So I completely kind of hit it and ignored it. I just, gosh, when I look back now, I just want to hug that version of me, you know. Mm. Uh, so I didn't really get acknowledged until the second baby because oh, then gosh. I hadn't really taken care of it with the first one. So then the second baby, I went on to medication and had some support and psych support, etc., um, which was phenomenal. That's why I'm such an advocate now for women because I'm like god if I had just had someone who'd come to me and said there's nothing wrong with you like let's you know let's get this out there let's take the shame away it may have been a different ride so yeah we had the second baby and I went into reserves and then I was still in the reserves when I fell pregnant with my third and then when the third came along I was like no I'm done I'm done (laughs) waddling around in my cams with a baby so yeah I'm just wondering uh so again I can only go with kind of what the society's ideas are but mental Mm. health in the army how well is that spoken about Mm. so that's a tricky one because it's very pc i suppose it's put out they they try and put a lot of effort into it but it's on a surface level in my opinion and again this is only my opinion so this is what led me down the path of studying psychology when i came back in from overseas and then when I observed other people coming back in from overseas and the psych process of coming back through like a a soldier coming back from deployment they just want to get back to their lives they just want to get home they don't want to tell you there's anything wrong yeah in case you can't get home you know and so seeing people make some really poor choices and then you know my own mental health coming back and I was like "Mm, I think I can change this so I was like (laughs) I'm gonna go and be a psychologist and go to Canberra and change policy like yeah easier said than done right Uh, yes (laughs) Just a little bit easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, because there's also, I mean, it's such a double-edged sword, Emma, because there's such a strong, the military is an environment where you're very taken care of. So mm. you can become very, well, you can have a learned helplessness because everything is provided for you and done for you. So when you go back into the real world, you can feel a bit lost. Yeah. And I observe that a lot. There's also a lot, a lot loss of significance there. You know, however, there are all sorts of support systems, but they don't always work for everybody, Mm. you know, so the transitioning out of the military or even, you know, like um, the situations I had some workplace bullying stuff go on in the military and you go through all the processes and it's like at some point you have to be self-responsible and decide whether you're going to step up and take this challenge or not because the system can only support you so much. And I think that's why there's such a loss of mental health for military personnel where they're so used to being taken care of and then it gets to the point where it's like you'll be medically discharged and you're out that's it no more you know and and there's no real sort of transitioning there so Mm. it is essentially what led me to do what I do now. So how was that for you when you suppose you had somewhat of a gradual transition out of the army and that you went into the reserves and then Mm. to being a civilian what were you supported in the reserves? Yeah, absolutely. So I wasn't actually that gradual because um, I'm a very resourceful woman. And when I decide I'm doing something, it happens very quickly, Emma. Mm-hmm. So I was 15 weeks pregnant and I just didn't tell them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm ready to get out. Um, this is like 15 gonna, weeks you know, pregnant with your third baby and you were still able to hide second. that? Second baby. You were yep. still able to hide that? Yeah. Wow. Yep. <laughs> I think they might have done a, 
I think they might have realized at the end and then they just passed my care over to her like they were like oh here's all your documents you know pass your care over basically mm. but I don't know how I can't quite remember the details but I managed to, to skip a few loopholes that you would normally need to take it normally takes about six months to get out and I just decided and got out very quickly so at that time my partner got offered a job back in the mining industry and with the military if you can get a job that pays more you can leave oh wow and so he got out yeah I'm not sure if it's still that way, but that's how it was then. And um, so he got out very quickly and back into the mining industry. And so I decided to go home to Adelaide where my parents were. So he's still going to be away all the time. Yeah. So second baby's coming. Yeah. So like I said, it wasn't, I didn't go through any of the processes of, you know, you have to do seminars and stuff on transitioning out into the workforce. I didn't, I somehow got out of all that, Emma. I can't <laughs> tell you how, but I did. And then went back to reserves and yeah, they're phenomenal. Again, reserves, because they are people who are in the normal workforce and they do this and they're often in it for a long time. But again, it's another sort of camaraderie, another mm. sort of family environment. So, and you yeah. still had that connection with the army. That yeah, you still had so that long. kind of toe in the water. So it's a very comfortable environment. I knew what I was doing there. I had a lot of credibility because of the time I'd spent in the full-time army there. So, you know, I sort of got to do both both things, both parts of my life. So be the mum and still be the soldier a little bit. So, yeah. yeah. So you and your partner both left the army at pretty much the same time. Yeah, so similar times. So he left before me. Like I said, I did about another four years in the reserves and he, he was straight out. So, yeah. He was done. Yeah, well, because mining, you know, you can't, you've got, you can't do a weekend. He's away every second. Oh, that is so. true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. completely off the, He did look at going back into the reserves for a little while, but again, timelines didn't fit. So. Mm. so how was it then with trying to, I guess, trying to find your identity as no longer a soldier? So that was tough. So again, a lot of what I do now is work with women on identity work because not only was I no longer a soldier, I was a full-time mother Mm. and you get treated very differently when you're a full-time mother. I remember going into a daycare centre to pick my kids up and I had my uniform on and they almost were like, oh, you are important. You know what I mean? Like, oh, "Oh, you do work. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I hate that attitude. Yeah. Um, So yeah, a lot of my coaching experience I started off working with mums initially uh, transitioning back into the workforce because of that identity shift Mm. so I think that's the biggest challenge any of us will ever face with everything we go through in our life is shifting into the person who needs to be that person that Mm. creates the life that they have you know and when it gets thrust upon you like motherhood um, it's almost like a grieving process for the person you used to be. 100%. I, I agree mm. with that. You know, you go for, and then particularly because when you introduce yourself, often people go, oh, and what do you do? Yeah. And, I'm a mum. Yeah. <laughs> and if they say I'm a mum, I want to yeah. absolutely cheer and celebrate. When they say I'm just a mum. Yeah. You know, I think, oh yeah. my goodness. Okay. We need to sit down and let's have a conversation. Let's just have a, a mum. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that girl as well, Emma, yeah. where I'm like, um, I think we need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband's always going, maybe maybe you could leave it, Emma. Just one person, maybe you could just leave it. Like, just let one go. I just don't think I, I can, darling. <laughs> no, I don't think I can either because it's generational. Like our, our mothers, mothers make the world go round. Like the mm. mothers take on the, like especially in the history, the generations gone by, the, the level of responsibility that they take on and the level of, feedback that they get they do not match up you know what I mean the amount of women are so resilient so strong so resourceful and they forget this because they've been given this title of just a mother like do you know what you're doing yeah you know you're raising humans into the next generation and it's just like I said you lose 
a value that just should be really the highest value in our society. So, yeah, no, we can't let one go. Sorry, husband. Mm, yeah. <laughs> We're just going to need to add an extra bit of time every time we go out just in case. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you were to talk to young young girl, woman, who mm-hmm. was thinking about joining the army, what would you mm-hmm. say to her? I would first be really curious about what she's looking to achieve from that. So, you know, why do you want to go in? Like, what's the what's the purpose there? And then I would say, enjoy every single minute of it. So I used to say, I got to the point where they started to want to progress me into, you know, sergeant stream or, or even transfer over to officer. I was being asked to go into the officer stream. And I kind of had this feeling at that time, if I go any further in this career, I'm going to come completely institutionalized and I probably won't get my life back you know yeah. and I just I just had that intuition at that time and I and I stand by that now I see so many people the longer you stay in the more institutionalized you are the harder it is so for a young woman I would say have a plan go in enjoy every moment of it and have an exit plan mm. so just what can you expand a little bit on what you mean by the risk of becoming institutionalized mm-hmm. so being in that environment and um as you get further up the rank chain, there's a lot of significance that comes with that. So, for example, I worked up until the sergeant level, and when you go beyond that, you're very, very important. And whenever you say something to someone, you know, like, hey, don't do that, or hey, you're walking wrong, or whatever, you're listened to. There's no recourse. There's no no one can argue with you because there's a rank structure. It has mm. to be that way. It's the military. Yeah, That's how we have to do it so that people will be following instruction if they're in a wartime situation. When you come back into the real world, that's not how it is. So you are less important. And I don't know if you know anything about life coaching, Emma, but the six core needs that we have, one of them is significance. Significance Mm. is a really important part of our human experience. And when we lose such a big chunk of significance, so you're so used to being this important person who speaks and is listened to and is not questioned on their command, and then you go into the world and you've got some... 15-year-old behind the Macca's counter questioning you, that can be a challenge, right? So there's a big gap there. So like I said, well, you've still got an element of reality. For me, it was like, I still, I still kind of feel like I'm, I'm me. And if I went back into the real world, I'd know how to function in that place. And I think if you stay in the military too long, being institutionalized makes it harder and harder to relate to people who aren't in that environment. And and I think too, and this might be a bit of a controversial thing and people might give me a bit of hate on it, but I think a lot of the, you know, like soldier on and things like that, we create environments that look very military because it's a comfortable place for people who've grown up in that space, which I'm all for, but I don't think it actually, you know, retrains them to come back into the into the world as such yeah and that's difficult isn't it because yes the real world (laughs) doesn't look like the military it doesn't feel like the military no no and and despite the difficulties of the military there's a lot of ease in there as well there's Mm. a lot of support there's a lot of you know like where else do you get paid to play sport every morning and go to the boozer every friday afternoon you you know what i mean there is a lot of fun that's to, to be had in there as well and so when you come out and you have to work your guts out you know, eight to 12 hours a day and nobody says, well done. Yeah. Like, um, where's my medal? Can I get a medal for this? Like, yeah. I have done this many years of being alive and being an adult and no one's exactly. giving me a medal. Exactly. I always say that about motherhood. Nobody goes, well done. You did a great job today. They're all like whinging. They want more. So, you know, I really think there's an element of mental health there that's probably missed. And, and it doesn't matter how much you give people, they need to choose it. 
yeah. there's so many support systems but if they want to continue to be a victim of that and in the space of like you know you tell me what to do and you need to pay me a pension or you need to give me I served my country yeah yeah that'll get you so far but at some point you're going to have to go who am I if I could swear I'd say who the f am I and what the f am I here for right because it's you've got to take back your life like the military is an institution it's not who you are mm. and for mm. most people it's an institution that you're part of for a portion of your life for a chunk of time and I think it's very easy to get stuck in those good old days mentality it's like that was the best time of my life and it mate it was it is a fabulous time um but your life goes on and you don't like I feel really sad when I hear people say that because I'm like oh my god isn't now like right now today the best time of your life like how do we change that yeah of course why I'm the crazy person who does coaching for people <laughs> yeah that's often how I feel when people say that high school were their best years of their lives and unlike oh, you I think high school you know well you know you think that the military was awesome so yes yeah. but high school I was like man if that was the best years of your life you've had a sucky life <laughs> yeah, I agree high school was brutal was I would never want anyone to go back to high school oh yeah. my god yeah. yeah and you're right and it's like you know sort of giving away your power how do we make your life great in every space so with that in mind, if, you know, a friend of yours, if their child was to tell them that they wanted to join the military and they were then, you know, what would you say to her? To the parent? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'd say let them go. I think it's a wonderful idea um, for character development and responsibility and leadership and all of that stuff. And so as the parent, even if my own children wanted to go, though the parent in me would be heartbroken the person you know like the individual in me would be like yeah you are going to get some of the best lessons of your life in this environment so you know support it as best you can and be the person my family were always the soft landing space that I can mm. come back to and I would say provide that for them because they're going to go there and they're going to be challenged and they're going to go through identity crisis and they're going to have some really tough experiences both socially you know and logistically and so being the person who can develop them into being resilient enough to cope with that, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, beautiful. And do you talk to your kids about your time in the military? Yeah, so it's interesting. When we go back to that identity stuff, my children at one point, um, I think I only had the two at the time, they were two and four, and the little one said, Daddy goes to work and Mummy does the dishes. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, what have I done? I haven't told them how fucking phenomenal I am. Like. <laughs> hell you know so that, then I started to yeah they, they um you know and and again where are you mum were you both in the army and their friends will ask them too was your mum in the army you know so yeah, yeah we definitely we talk about it all the time and you know even at times that I'm like you would never be able to go in the army with your room looking like that <laughs> fine I don't want to go in the Mind army you, anyway I <laughs> yeah I was the messiest soldier like yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I was not tidy at all and I made it, so it's okay. But the yeah, kids no, don't need to know that, that, right? <laughs> hey? The kids don't need they to don't know that part, do they? Exactly. Mm. No, that's right. Mummy was perfect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but especially um, especially with their dad being in Iraq and stuff, you know, there's lots of stories and we've got lots of video footage and stuff, so, yeah, they're always super keen to hear about it. Yeah, we're completely open with it. Mm. So this episode's going out around Anzac Day. And I didn't ask you this beforehand, so hopefully it's okay to ask. But do, what mm -hmm. does Anzac Day mean to you? So that's a beautiful, beautiful question, Emma, because it's really transitioned over the years too. So it was something that, you know, was very, very important to me. And then as I moved out of the military and into motherhood and had my own mental health challenges, I found it to be 
almost a bit of a pressured thing. So when the kids were little and my husband was away and I didn't want to drag them out to a dawn service, mm. it was like you were shamed for it. Ah. Mm. And so I was like, you know, having to sort of work through that for people. And look, lots of people didn't have a great experience of their military career. Mm. Lots of people deployed and had horrible you know, PTSD and had situations that they don't want to go and stand in that environment and, and remember, and they've transitioned on to the next version of them. So I think Anzac Day is an individual choice. As I get older, it becomes something, again, that's very important to me. Like the last few years with COVID, I have found it something that I've really wanted to observe. And, um, you know, I take the kids out the front with the candle in the driveway or, we, you know, if we can go out, we go out to the dawn service because I've really wanted to acknowledge that part of my life. Mm. Um, but I think it could be such a personal choice for you, how you decide to honour that day, whether you need to be by yourself or whether you want to be with old friends or not you know what I mean like I think you have to make that choice for yourself and there's no shame around it yeah oh yeah I 100% agree I think that it's everybody needs to do what's right for them right now mm-hmm. and what's yeah. right for you right now may not be the same as what was right for you last year it may not be the same as what's right for you next year or in 5 10 20 years time and yeah exactly I, I used to find it quite triggering because I would feel very alone so being in a city where like nobody else had been in the military and then my husband would be working and I'd take the kids to the march and I'd feel so emotional because it would just highlight the fact that I was alone and motherhood is isolating anyway. Mm. And then that's another layer on top of it. So, you know, I think you get to choose however that shows up for you. And I know that it's very, very important. Like I said, as we age, those things seem to be more important. You see lots of the old diggers who are really there, yeah. you know, acknowledging that part of their life. But yeah, in, the, in when you're in the midst of fucking kids and shitty nappies yeah. <laughs> or whatever it might be for you, if you're in the midst of a mental health challenge, you know, you make a choice that suits you. And that can be quite difficult with parenthood, um, you know, when you, tr- you are in a space where you are emotional and you're by mm. yourself with your children, that's very difficult. And I'm starting to finally get to the point where I think actually it's important that my children see that I have emotions and I'm not a robot. Yeah. But yeah. also... You don't necessarily want to have a breakdown in the middle of the city with in your the, three kids exactly. there with how many thousands of people marching around you, you know? So Yeah, exactly. That's a hundred percent right, Emma. So I agree with you. And again, it's age appropriate for the children as well, isn't it? Like little children where they don't want to see you in distress, it's mm. gonna be much more difficult for them to assimilate that knowledge. Um, and so there is an element of pushing that feeling away. Yeah. To cope with it. And again, we just do what we can, yeah. Mm. And mm-hmm. so with that in mind, have you connected with organisations that do bring, you know, bring ex-service people together, places like RSLs or, I mean, you mentioned Soldier On. Have you connected mm-hmm. with any of those? Oh, a little bit. When I first got here to Perth and started doing coaching, I, I connected with a few organisations. But like I said, I think I have a very different take on it and it feels very much, again, if you want to hate me for this, come at me it's okay I will. But I, I've got I think, the boxing gloves ready yeah, <laughs> yeah well the people that are listening I'm yeah. sure there'll be some that disagree and that's completely fine but again I the way I observe it it can keep people stuck in a victim mentality and mm. I really am an advocate for breaking that victim mentality and taking charge of your own life so that's just my purpose and that's mm. just the way that I you know support people through coaching so personally for myself no I, I didn't feel the need to i find my own tribe wherever I am it's yeah. very um you know part of who I of my own identity I find that tribe in sporting arenas in gyms in different clubs you know what I mean so I haven't had to I've felt the need for it I don't find it something that 
contributes to my life in any way. I love the experience. It's almost like I loved it and it's done now. We move on. Yeah. yeah. But not everybody's that way. And so I'm completely supportive. These organizations are phenomenal. And if mm. they get if they get people out and connecting, I'm I'm one hundred percent for that, but it's just not for me. Yeah. And and that's mm. it. I think that it's there are some people that are going to resonate really well with those organizations yeah. and other people that are going, you know what, I actually I don't need that. So I'm fine yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think if you're in the depths of depression, like I lost mates to suicide and I was like, God, well, how did he end up being someone who took his own life? He was such a solid, positive guy, you know, and, and it just, when it takes you, it takes you down a path. And so if it's getting someone out of an environment like that, like, oh my God, please keep doing that work. Yeah. Please keep connecting people because I think isolation is the thing that causes you know, most of our mm. um, mental health problems is we start to pull away. So if we can, can if we can combat that through these organisations, then I'm 100% there. Yeah, but it's not something that I've ever felt the need to, to, to follow up on. Yeah. yeah, and I agree. I think it can go both ways and I think we see it with support groups often is that when, yeah. when you're going specifically for the purpose of going to a support group, all you're doing is reliving that experience yeah. that you need the support group for. So there's no... Yes. There's no movement forward because you're constantly yeah, exactly. being pulled back. And, I, and as a coach, like, and as someone who's come through like a, a psych and then coaching, I know that if you tell that story over and over and over again, it becomes more and more solid in your brain, yeah. and more and more true. And it becomes more and more difficult for you to shift identity. So again, different modalities, people sometimes say that doing it over and over again can desensitize as well. But for me, it's just when you get so stuck on the story mm. that, you know, you went through this thing, and that's all you can think about um, and that's all you go and talk about and that's all your friends talk about, you really are keeping yourself stuck in that one place in your life. Yeah, look, mm. I think it can desensitise. I think it can also re-traumatise. Um, yeah. At the same time, yeah. places like RSLs, I think that they can be awesome because you know that the people who are sitting in the RSL have got yeah. similar experiences. So it's not necessarily rehashing some of the trauma. It might be... Yeah sharing some of the good stories and knowing that you've, you've got space for that. And that's really powerful. And they get it. You don't yeah. have to explain to someone who's been in the military what you mean by the terminology you're using mm. or, you know, or if you're a little bit, because we can be a little bit rough around the edges in the military and we can make light of things that are pretty serious, you know, because I think you have to. Yeah, black humour um, is so being, the thing that gets you through, I think. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. yeah. So being in an RSL situation means you can let those barriers down. You don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing and offending anybody because we've been through it. So yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Before we wrap up today, have you got anything else that you would like to share or any thoughts that you'd like to add? I guess I just wanted to bring, like I said, lots of people have gotten negative experiences and I wanted to bring a positive spin to the military experience mm. that I had and especially as a female and people often ask me you know was there discrimination and look there was and I'm sure it was probably more than I saw the number one thing that I want women to know is that if you think it's a problem if you think being a woman is a problem if you feel like a victim as a woman that's what will show up in your external world so for me it was like what do you mean I can't do that because I'm a girl? And that kind of attitude, I, I, when I look back, I think that's the thing that got me through and got me the success and got me the awards. It just never was a barrier for me. So, you know, again, if we can flip out of that, we need people fighting for the rights in that mm. space. But if you personally are having trouble with it, you can flip out of it, seeing it as a problem and just see it as not even an issue and behave that way. 
then the world will respond differently to you as well. So that's a really big part of my message. It sounds though like you experienced some positive discrimination. You know, so how so? So when you were over in Timor and they organised spaces where you could have that contact with yeah. um, other women. So, you know, while I understand that I'm sure that in the military there's a lot of negative discrimination, it mm. sounds like there was they're making great strides towards equity. Mm. And oh, 100%. And that when I came here to Perth and got into the sort of women that are in mining, I was blown away by how far behind they are. Mm. You know, from that military sense, absolutely positive discrimination. But that can also go against you in that the guys are then like, oh. She's she got her own that. room. So yeah. apparently we're supposed to yeah. treat her the same, but we can't share a bunk with it, you know, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly, well. yeah. And, the, and so, uh, you know what, I again, I, I believe in equity, not equality. We mm. are different, men and women. Um, and we require different support systems, but so does every human, you know. So yeah. I should also note as well on that deployment, they also thought that I was sleeping with one of the other married corporals. So that oh. happens when you're a woman as well. You can't go anywhere without being hooked up with someone. So there's a lot of support. There's a lot of gossip at the same time. Yeah. But like I'm saying, for me, I was like, I don't give an F what you're saying about me. I'm going to be the best I can be. And I like show up and mm. prove them wrong. Don't verbalize. Don't whinge. Don't chuck a tanty about it. Be like, no, it's not true. And I'm just going to keep doing my job as an absolute gun. Because then the respect comes regardless of the rumours. Yeah. yeah. How difficult was that for you with those rumours? That was pretty, that one in particular. So I'd experienced it quite a bit. And especially when we all went out in the ships together, there was, oh God, I've been in front of many a committee there where I was like, can I speak freely now, sir? And letting them understand what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Um, but that one in particular was really tough because I was the only girl. I was like, who did you expect me to be friends with? Yeah. And I was also one of two corporals. So we were the lowest ranking officers like, like ORs in the, um, in the headquarters. And so we would go on runs together and walk together. I knew his wife, like we yeah. had an excellent friendship. And then it was like, oh yeah, I think they're hooking up, you know, of course, because men and women can't be friends, mm. you know? So it, that one was particularly painful because I was very good friends with a lot of the um, people that said it as well. But it's just not unexpected. And again, I, I always made the choice, Emma, to never let it be the thing that would knock me off my path. I was like, oh. Did okay, it impact how you behaved? That. So did you still keep going for the runs with him or did it yep. meet? So you didn't kind of go, oh, God, well, now I need to be guarded with who I'm friends with because of these no. rumours? Good, no, good for you. It's their, it's their problem, not mine. Yeah. And like I said, I've been in front of our offices before where I was being reprimanded for something. I think I got reprimanded for hugging one of my girlfriends on a deployment because it's too much. The boys can't handle it. Oh, and okay. I was like, you know what? It's not my problem. It's your problem. Also, your we weren't in bikinis, jelly wrestling, okay? Like, yeah, we're in our that's right exactly and uh, they're just so almost over the top about it sometimes so I was just always of the opinion like as long as I'm in integrity and don't get me wrong like my husband was in the military I hooked up with people let's yeah. be honest but if it you know I would be open about that and if yeah. it wasn't the case it was like you know this is your problem not mine this mm. is a cultural systemic problem not my problem so I can keep showing up and being friends with that person because how dare I shrink myself to suit your systemic problem oh I'd applaud. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that you know, that's I think that's fantastic. And I think it's it's useful to kind of have that perspective that you don't have to change yourself because of somebody else's beliefs. Yeah. And yeah. how you show up is how people see you. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. You're going to go through periods in your life where people are saying shit about you and you can spend a lot of time and energy rebutting them or trying to correct them or trying to get in the way or you can keep being you. And when you keep being you, eventually people notice. Yeah. You know, it might take a week, it might take a month, it might take a year, but people go, you know what? I don't know if you're right about her. She's mm. showing up like a pretty good person. So, you know, keep being you. And like I said, it's a big, big part of the leadership work that I do now with women in corporate spaces because it's like don't waste your time and energy fighting these little tiny spitfire battles. Stay on your path, which is to lead the way, model the way for other women. Be awesome. Yeah. Again, so much easier said than done. But <laughs> Yeah, that's why everyone needs a coach in that space. Like when you're being... And, and it is so much easier said than done, Emma. And being on the other side of that, I think, is what makes me good at taking women through it because I'm doing it from a personal experience. So, yeah. you know, having had that done to me and been through, I nearly got kicked out of my unit because I was dating a guy who ended up, like, you know, causing a whole bunch of ruckus in the unit. And I was a very junior soldier at the time. So, so having been through those kind of situations means that you know I'm able to with my education and my experience really support women through that because it is really hard you just want to defend yourself Mm. you know and and defending yourself sometimes makes you look worse than just showing up and being the awesome version of you that you are and it's a hard Mm. choice isn't it if I defend myself then you know he who doth protest too much type thing but if I don't if I don't defend myself well then am I admitting guilt so yes Yeah, and that's what I mean, like using the systems that are there for you. So I talk a lot about conflict in conversations. Mm. Go in, have the voice, have the conflict in conversation, move on. Mm. Don't keep telling the story, you know. Don't Don't keep saying, oh, my God, and this happened to me and this happened to me and this happened to me. Deal with it, move on. Yeah. Mm. Well, on that note, I think thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being so open and sharing so much and I appreciate all your insights into what it's been like as a soldier, what it's been like being married to a soldier and what it's mm. been like redefining yourself outside of that role now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Emma. I'm really, this is such a space that I'm so passionate about um, to speak to because like I said, I think a lot of it's a bit secret and mm. a lot of it's a bit negative as well. So it's good to have the opportunity to bring a different voice to it. I, and I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you sharing the positive experiences. I think all we mm. hear is about, you know, sexual harassment and bullying in the mm. armed forces. We don't hear that deployment is really fun. We don't hear that the mm. army went above and beyond to make sure that you had women to watch sex in the yep. city with so. yeah, exactly exactly yeah it was yeah amazing you know just experience like that so uh, and like I said plenty of negative experiences but if you get caught up in those that it's going to be your life so let's you know and I think we have some... negative experiences in our life anyway right correct yes it's part of our resilience training yeah 100% <laughs> so thank you so much and I really appreciate it you're so welcome Emma Thank you for joining me for today's episode of A Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. For more information on the services we offer, head to whws.org.au or Women's Health and Wellbeing Services on YouTube and social media. Looking forward to the next episode where we uncover the hidden world of women.